Welcome to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. You can also check us out online at realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. All right, class, today we are going to be reading Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. So I just want you guys to listen to the words as I read. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell. It was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Vicky have, Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said, if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be carsick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said that Parker was his best friend and that Albert Moyo was his next best friend and I was only his third friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off the cone and lands in Australia. There were two cupcakes in the lunch bag, and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds, and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on the top. Guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert. It was a horrible, no good, terrible Terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was, because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist, and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week, and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot, and while we were waiting for my mom to get to the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy, and then I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby, and while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I'm having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, I told everybody. No one even answered. So then we went to the shoe store to buy some sneakers. Anthony chose white ones with blue stripes. Nick chose red ones with white stripes. I chose blue ones with red stripes. But then the shoe man said, we're all sold out. They made me buy plain old white ones, but they can't even make me wear them. When we picked up my dad at his office, he said I couldn't play with a copying machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on his desk, and I was careful, as could be, except for my elbow. And then he also said don't fool around with his phone, but I think I called Australia. My dad said, please don't pick him up anymore. 
It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner, and I hate limas. There was kissing on the TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot, I got soap in my eyes, my marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are just like that, even in Australia. Welcome to Real Church. Do I, did I turn it on? Welcome to Real Church where we read children's books. <clears throat> you guys ever had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? Oh, yeah. yeah, I know, right? I love that book. I remember that book from my childhood. Um, a lot of kids, and one of the things that we wanted to do whenever uh, we had a child is, my wife said, listen, we, we need to have a library. Make sure we have a library of books. I want my kid to read books. And so he had this thing beside his bed and it was full of books and other books in the shelf and books and books and books. Um, I had three books growing up. Um, I had The Hungry Hungry Caterpillar. You guys remember that one? The Very Hungry Caterpillar. In Tennessee it was The Hungry Hungry Caterpillar. Um, and then I had, um, is, is, I don't know, it's the one with all the monsters. Is it Where the, where the Wild Things Are? Um, and I had that book, The Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And you may think, well, why in the world would you read The Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day for a sermon? And I'm going to tell you the reason why is, is because today we're going to look at probably the second worst day in Jesus' life. And when you see the text in John chapter 5, you may not think, by the way, thank you so much, Charity, for doing that. Didn't she do great, y'all? She did great. Thank you so much for doing that. She, uh, when we see the text in John, you may not see that because John actually leaves out a lot of the details going around, but we're going to take a deep dive into this. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Now I want to give you a little background. John is writing this uh, account to those in, in Ephesus. And I've told you that Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke are known as synoptic gospels because they do the whole story going through, and they go from start to finish. John doesn't necessarily do that. John highlights some major things, and he puts them in an order um, that, that he wanted to put them in for emphasis, and we're going to see that today. The first 12 books are called the Book of Signs, and today we're going to see the fourth sign. Today is the fourth sign. And then the 13 through 21, John chapter 13 through 21, is the Book of Glory, now, I've been telling you every week the main goal of this book and the main goal of this series is this found in John chapter 20, verse 31. John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, but these are written 
so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So with that said, let's go ahead and read John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After this, after what? Well, after he had been accused of these things, after he had given his long um, his trial showing his, you know, he called the witnesses, he called the various witnesses. And I want to make sure you understand that one of the witnesses that he called, the last one that he called was Moses. So John placed that there, and we're going to talk about it a little later on. He placed that there for a reason. After this, after he had, he had said this. And so we're going, there's a bridge here that happens going into this story. So after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs and he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus uh, soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread for, to feed all these people? Hint, Jesus already knew what he was going to do, by the way. He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough food, I mean, have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that when, with this huge crowd? And then Jesus said this, he said, tell everyone to sit down. Jesus said, so they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to all the people. Afterward, he said the same with the fish. And after they had all ate as much as they wanted, uh, after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we've been waiting and we've been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. What is exactly going on? Let me tell you about this miracle. This miracle is the only miracle with the exception of the resurrection. It's the only miracle that is in all four Gospels. So with that said, you know that this miracle in particular is something that's very important to the life of Christ. It's the only miracle that's in all four Gospels. It's the fourth sign in John's Gospel. There have been four signs so far. And remember what signs do. They're signs. Signs point you somewhere, right? They point you in a direction. If you see a sign, uh, we had an argument this week of what color the yield sign is. Does anyone know what color a yield sign is? I said yellow. I'm an idiot. All right. So anybody else think yellow besides me? Okay. I'm in very sketchy company. All right. Uh, but literally signs point you in a direction. They point you a certain way. And that's exactly what's going on here. That's what's going on here. John is giving these signs to point directly to Christ. Now, whenever you see the setting is in Galilee, because he said he, they went over to Galilee, whenever the, whenever the setting is in Galilee, or you hear the word Galilee, what you should think of is this. You should think of the people that live there. Now, the people in Galilee were oftentimes peasants who lived off the land. I want you to hear that. They lived off the land. Their main concern would not be 
delicacies, fine wines, fine breads, those kind of things. That would not be their main concern. Do you know where their, what their main concern was probably? Where am I going to get my next meal? How are we going to feed the family next? That was their main concern. Because it wasn't always guaranteed. And so when you read this story, when you read this story, you see, you see that Jesus is providing something for those in Galilee that more than likely they could not provide for themselves. And so that was what I want you to have in mind when we look at Jesus's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I've already told you this, but I want to tell you, and this is going to be my first point. This was probably one of the hardest day in Jesus's ministry. And you may say, well, look, I just read it. I don't understand why this would be one of the hardest days in Jesus ministry. Well, John doesn't point out this fact, but Matthew does. And so does the other gospels, by the way. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It says, when Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, he said to his advisors, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's why he can do such miracles. For Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother Philip. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. But at a birthday party for, uh, for Herod, Herodias' daughter performed a dance that greatly pleased him. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. At her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. Then the king regretted what he had said. But because of the vow he made in front of his guests, he issued the necessary orders. So John was beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Later John's disciples came for his body and, and buried it. Um, they, then they went and told Jesus what happened. And here's what we see. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. And so you see... John the Baptist has been killed. The one that was the forerunner for Christ had been killed. The one that Jesus was close to, that which came before. We know that there were miraculous things that happened all around both of their lives. And literally, Jesus was told, he was told about John the Baptist. And when he was told about John the Baptist, he decided that he needed to be alone. And so they got in a boat and they began to go to be alone. He was grieving. And if you think about it now in John chapter 6, if you look at the context and you look at what he did, it's amazing that he would be grieving, yet he still did what he did. He had been, John the Baptist was beheaded. And just like us, oftentimes, whenever we're grieving, he just wanted to be alone. One of the things that we see is, is that Jesus had sent out his disciples. He had sent out his disciples. And when he sent out his disciples, his disciples saw all of these miraculous things. They saw all of, they did and saw all these miraculous things that God did for people. And he used the disciples to do it. God used these disciples to do it. And so they were excited about what had transpired in their day. 
And so all of these excited people come back. Jesus is grieving and he wants to be alone. And you know, when you're grieving and you're down and you want to be alone, the last thing you want is someone who's happy to be around you. Are you with me? Someone who's excited about something that's happened because you're not in that same state. And so honestly, they can kind of get on your nerves. You know what I mean? You ever had that situation? Yeah. You've had the situation where you're grieving or you're hurting or something's going on and someone comes around and they've got great news and you don't have great news. And you can see the pressure that was put on Jesus because he had sent them out. They had had success. They were coming back to tell him of the success. And he had heard the news and was grieving. But there's another part that happened as well, because the people had heard about all of these things that Jesus was doing. And the people were peasants and the people were hungry. And so when they come up and they land, all of these people began to come around them. And all Jesus wanted to do was to come away and to go up on a hillside and to commune with God and to grieve and to mourn and to pray. And yet he stands there with disciples that had had success. He stands there with people that were hungry. For him, it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. So what did Jesus do in his grief? What did he do in his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? Well, he showed compassion. In his grief, he healed. In his grief, he ministered. In his grief, he fed. Even on the worst day of his life, he had compassion on us. And the story, the story, this story tells a lot about Jesus' view of you and of me. And i got to be real with you. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And the reason it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible is because I learned something a long, long time ago. And what I learned a long, long time ago is the second point in this message. And it's this, that Jesus is our provision. Jesus through God is our provision. Jesus shows that God is our provision. And the reason that I love this story is because a long, long time ago, I got to realize how incredible the provision of God is for my life. I got to realize that trusting God with all of my stuff is a free and peaceful life. What's my provision? Well, it's not what I see. It's not what I can count. It's not what I can touch. It's not what I think I have. God is our provision. You know, I've told this story a few times, but it's really funny. <clears throat> Whenever I met Wendy, um, and by the way, this is not really a tithing sermon, by the way, just to let you guys know that. Um, I encourage you to, but it's not a tithing sermon. Um, I, I, when I met Wendy, uh, there was a situation where um, I was working a lot of shifts, okay, because I wanted to help support her. She had, a, she had kind of a bad situation. She had a bad roommate situation, and, and I wanted to try to support her and help her. And so 
I, I was working double shifts and I was trying to send her, you know, a little extra along the way. We were, we were eight hours apart. Um, I, was in, I was in Jackson, Tennessee. She was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, and I was trying to help out and we were trying to make the best we can make. And, and uh, at the time, and, and you know, I, I, uh, we were engaged and, and I, I, she called me. She was excited one day. And by the way, when I say she called me, she didn't text me or have a phone call. with It was free. It cost a lot of money. All right. Back in the day, you guys remember that? Whenever you do that, remember that? So um, I did tell you guys a story about how I used to, I, I worked on a crisis hotline. Uh, I did. I worked on a. I worked in a mental health facility, and so I would work during the day. And during the day, I would work with with the patients. And then that evening, from from 11, from three to eleven, I would go down and answer phone calls. So I would literally work from seven to eleven, uh, about four days a week, uh, doing that. And I would take off on Fridays, but so I could go see her. So, but I literally would work that that many hours. And so what she would do is, it was an eight hundred number, so she could call me eight hundred number for free. The only problem was was that sometimes I was talking with suicidal people, right? So um, uh, I had a phone call one time. Uh, it was funny because the guy would call a lot. It kind of wasn't funny, but I was an idiot when I was that age. So he would call a lot. And so, so um, I was calling and I could see the little caller ID on the other line and it was Wendy calling me. And so me and all my 23 year old wisdom, I said, hey, he was right in the middle of telling me he was depressed and stuff. And I said, hey man, I said, um, I got another call. You want to hold on? And he was like, sure. So I put a suicidal guy on hold. So that's what I did. Uh, yeah, I did. I really did. And it was just a guy that would, he would go to a pay phone. And so we couldn't trace his call. And he would just call and talk to me. And I did that over. I did talk to him almost every night. Um, but uh, anyway, so Wendy would call me like that. So we were, we were engaged. And Wendy called me. And she was so excited. She goes, you're not going to believe what happened. And she said, I had forgotten I had gotten a bonus. And I stuck it. I don't know where she stuck it. But she stuck it somewhere. And she found it. It was a $100 bill bonus that she had gotten from a summer camp that she had worked at the year before. Um, so I don't know about you guys, but if I got a $100 bill for a bonus back in the day when I was 22 or 23, I, it, would, I'd have been, it would be spent. You know what I'm saying? Not Wendy. She just stuck it, you know, she stuck it somewhere and there it was. So uh, I was like, great. And my first thought was, was that's great. 50 bucks a week, two weeks, then, you know, I can maybe take a day off here. And she said, yeah, and you're not going to believe it. She said, because I hadn't really been able to give, I, I gave it to the church. And I said, you did what? She said, I gave it to the church. And I said, uh, like, what do you mean, like, you gave it to the church? Like, what are you talking about? And she said, no, no, I, I just, I really felt like God wanted me to give it to the church. And so I made a donation to the church. I said, okay, like, for how much? She said, well, all I had was a $100 bill. I said, well, you could have got change, right? You ever made change? No, not really. Anyway, I was like, really, seriously? So, like, you gave the whole thing. And I said, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? And all of a sudden, I think a light bulb went off in her head. And she said, oh, wait a minute. Hold on a second. We've never had this conversation. She said, you do tithe, right? And I said, I mean, I give. Like, I, you know, I'll give a little bit here and there. You know, sermon's good. I'll throw 20 in or something. She said, no, 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 no. That's, no you, you have to tithe. And then she went this big, long spiel. She was in seminary at the time. So big, long spiel about how I needed to tithe. And so then she says this, and this was very not funny to me. She says, well, she says, listen, this is kind of how it is. Um, you're either going to have to start tithing or we're not going to be able to get married. And God spoke to me in a very clear voice. <laughs> and he said, 
Barry, titheth my son. And that's how I started tithing. And the crazy part about that story is, is that she dropped a $100 bill in, in, the, in, the plate, in, in the plate, and she did that. And like three weeks later, she goes and meets her family, uh, and they have the discussion about the wedding. Uh, and her dad gave her 10000 bucks. And then she called me. I told you. All right. You told me. You told me. So listen, what does that say? I'll tell you what it says to me. It says that God wants to show us that he is our provision. I had a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Dale. He's one of my good buddies. Uh, I love him. I love him dearly. He, uh, he helped me a lot. I met him. Uh, I was around 19 uh, and he was uh, 31 years old and he was going through a divorce and it was a divorce that he did not want, but he was going through a divorce anyway. And he, I met him and I remember, I will never forget this, uh, the night before, um, the night I went out to visit him at his house and he was sitting in two, it was, there was two lawn chairs and I was sitting in one lawn chair and he was sitting in the other in his house because that's really all he had. And he had a mattress in, on the floor in his bedroom and because his wife had taken everything and and she had she had the kids they ended up having joint custody but she had the kids and and um he was sitting there and i said so he has had a stereo and a tv right us guys we're gonna have a chair a bed and a stereo and a tv right that's gonna happen so that's what he had and i was sitting there talking to him and i was like what are you gonna do he said i don't know he said the bank comes tomorrow morning at nine to get the keys and to take over the house and and so he went from there it was amazing he went from there to to a little place that you it's like a rent by the week and I went to visit him there and he and I talked and stuff and he was just kind of down on his luck but he had just given his life over to Christ about six months earlier and he, he was incredible, still is, an incredible musician, an incredible singer and he had always played in bands and stuff and he was, he was you know, he, he, but he just he just felt like God wanted him to, to he ended up quitting at a very successful band that was very popular around the Western Sea area, and he actually ended up leaving it, uh, leaving the band, because he felt like God wanted him to, to use his gifts for him, and so that's what he would do. And so we, you know, he had joined this little church in September and give his life to Christ. I'd give my life to Christ in February, and so we just kind of connected, and he, he, you know, we talked to each other. I would listen to him. He would listen to me, and um, he went from that little place to a to a. Uh, um, to an apartment, a, a guy's a two-bedroom apartment. He had to get the apartment so that his kids could come over, and that's what he did. He did that. But I'll never forget a day when he was still down on his luck, and he, he came in and talking to me, and he said, hey, he said, um, uh, we were talking about money and stuff, and he said, you know, he said, I really just am trusting God will be my provision. And he did, and he, it's this crazy thing he did, but, but um, I know some people don't know this, but back in the day, young people, we used to write checks, these things called checks. And so he wrote a check to the church, um, um, I think it was for 100 bucks. He wrote a check to a church for 100 bucks, and I said, man, I said, uh, you don't have $100. And he said, you know, I don't. He said, but I, I just, I, I, I really want to trust God and you know what? If it bounces, I'll just go up and, and pay the church or do whatever I need to do. And he did. And the good thing is, is that the, the check actually didn't bounce. Uh, it actually, God blessed him that next week. And he told that story to me. 
And he, he said, he said, listen, he said, I've never trusted God as my provision and I'm going to start trusting God as my provision. And so what you see here is God's provision for me now. And what he has for me in the future will be my provision in the future. But whatever he wants me to have is what I want right now. And so I want to trust him with everything. And so I don't want to cling to those things, what I think that are important. I want to cling to the things that God thinks are important. And those things that God thought were important, that he would go every Sunday morning, he would literally help lead worship. So he would get up at 530 in the morning. And drive an hour away to get his kids to bring them to church. And he would let them go all the activities. And Sunday night he would take them back. That was on weeks when he didn't have, have, it wasn't his week so to speak. And then he would also on Wednesdays he would leave his work early to drive an hour to pick them up. To bring them to youth uh, at the church. And then he would drive the kids back over. Uh, and that was what he thought was important. And he, and he drove beat up cars and you know, here and there and everything. But the cool thing is, is that God continued to provide and continued to provide and continued to provide. And now today, as I sit here today, he has, and it's so encouraging, but his, both of his kids are both still serving God. They're both still in church. They both are very faithful. He has a, a plethora, I don't know how many grandkids. He's got probably, I think six or seven grandkids, eight grandkids. The pictures are incredible. He's got a bunch of grandkids. And he and his wife, they, uh, over the years, he got remarried and they have, have, God has just provided and provided and provided and provided. And now they have like this big, huge, beautiful 260 acre farm and they raise cattle and like he has an, another company that he does. And it's just an amazing testimony of God being someone's provision. You know what I mean? And you may say, well, gosh, are you saying that all that happened because he decided to tithe? No, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm not saying that at all, actually. I actually don't necessarily believe that. What I do believe is, is I believe that his heart changed to say, God, I know you're going to be my provision. So, God, I don't, therefore, I know, I, I live at peace knowing that you're my provision. And so my heart is turned towards you. And whatever you want me to have, whatever you, whichever way you guide and direct me, that's what I want to do. And so I'm not going to sit up at night worrying about money. I'm not going to sit up at night worrying about various things. I'm going to do everything I know to do, but I know you're going to be my provision. And that's why I love teaching about this. That's why I love teaching about this. By the way, Dale is leading worship. He's led worship since he was 32 years old, and he's still leading worship. He's in his early 60s now, and he's still leading worship at a small little church, and he absolutely loves it. What Jesus did here is, provide, is show people, hey, I want you to know something. I'm your provision. By the way, there was 5,000 men. Estimation is there was probably 15,000 people at this event. Just want you to know that 15,000 because they didn't count the women and children. They just counted the men. So you're looking at probably 15,000 people at this event. There was another thing here that was very important as well. And it was found in John chapter 6 verses 12 and 13. Let me show you that. It says, after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftover so that nothing is Wasted. So they picked up pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. And one of the things I want you to know is, is that I'm not a big leftovers guy. All right. Are you guys big leftover people? I'm not a huge leftover people. I'll eat a little pizza leftover, but, you know, and I always have the best intentions. It's like, hey, Wendy, you make a lot of this. And what's going to happen is, is that we're going to put it in containers uh, this week it was Zupa Tuscana. You guys ever heard of Zupa Tuscana? It's, the, the, it's some kind of Italian thing that they make at Olive Garden. Well, Wendy makes it very good, and I really, really like it. And the first night I ate it, it was fantastic. Wendy puts them in these containers, and what, what happens, here's what happens. The plan is, is for both of us to take the Zupa Tuscana to, to work the next day or the day after. 
what ends up happening is, is that I open up the refrigerator and think, I wonder what I want for lunch today. And the Zupatuscana is looking me in the face. And it looks so disgusting. Are you with me? I'm like, you know what? That Zupatuscana, that is not going to fulfill me. What would fulfill me is a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A. That with, with extra pickle. That would fulfill me. I can taste the sogginess of the pickle just a little bit. I don't know. Someone don't like that. I love it. I can taste it. I can, I'm saying again. So what ends up happening is, is that she'll have usually three containers. She'll take two and then I'll throw the other one away. And sometimes, and she doesn't even know I do this. Sometimes she'll have the containers in there and the day after she'll take one and I'll take the other one and I'll put it in a, in a Walmart bag and wrap it up and throw it in the trash outside so she doesn't see it just to make her think that I actually took the leftovers, but I didn't take the leftovers. And I throw away her Tupperware sometimes too, but it's not real Tupperware, it's the cheap stuff. Anyway, I'm not a big fan of leftovers. Some people are, some people are not, all right? So, but the leftovers here are very important. These leftovers are very important. And here's why. I told you guys that it said, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee. After what? Well, he had just been talking, and we talked about this last week, at how Moses, the people that they thought were so great, Moses was so great that he, that he was the main focus of the Old Testament. And Jesus said, no, no, I want you to understand something. I'm the main focus of the Old Testament. Everything, we read those 47 uh, passages and probably 150 scriptures. We read those. And by the way, I think Lynn's going to have those posted somewhere if you guys want those. I, I, I sent them to him this week to have them posted. But Moses was the centerpiece. And when he said, hey, Moses even testifies about me. And we read the scripture where Moses testified about him. Well, it just so happens that Moses, too, fed the people. You guys remember the story? Moses fed the people. Through God, Moses fed with manna from heaven. It's in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Do we have that up there? Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. All right, it says, it says here it is. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they follow my instructions. So manna from heaven came down. So here's what I want you to understand of what John is doing here and showing you. Yes, Moses fed the people. Moses fed the people. But Jesus also fed the people. But Jesus' provision had leftovers. Jesus' provision was more than enough. You see, as you start to see some of these signs, you're going to see, for instance, the wedding at Cana. The wedding at Cana. Remember the wedding at Cana we talked about, the first sign? What happened? Vats and vats of water that which turned into wine. More than enough. The best safe for last. That's why he says in John 10, he came to you have life and have it to the abundance. More than enough. Overflowing provision. John is telling you here very clearly, Jesus exceeds Moses in his provision. That's why Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says this. It says, now all glory all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us 
to accomplish infinitely more that we might ask or think. More, a lot more than you will ever ask or, or think. He will do exceedingly more than you will ask or think. Jesus shows that God is our provision. And I want to tell you something. I'm going to go off script a little bit here. And I want to encourage you with something. Listen, if you have never experienced God being your provision, if you've always thought that you're the one that had to do everything for your provision, I'm here to tell you that you're 100% wrong. You are. And you're living a life that is burdened that doesn't have to be. It doesn't. I think a lot of us fear this, and I think what I feared was, was that I wouldn't like God's provision, you know, that I wouldn't like God's provision, that I would be like, or that God's provision would be less than what lifestyle I wanted to live, or would be less than I thought I deserved. And we don't vocalize that because that would sound anti-God, right? We don't say, well, God, I'm not going to like this. But the reality is, is that God's provision is fulfilling God's provision is exceedingly enough and God's provision is good. And I want you to understand that. And so if you're living a life burdened, not, not thinking that, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. The truth of the matter is, is that God's provision is well enough for you. And you can live at peace with God's provision. And it's a life that I've been living since I was 23. And I'll tell you what, at every turn, God has blown me away by how good he is to me. He has. He's blown me away. He really has. And I hope he blows you away too. The final thing I want you to see before we close is this, is that in this story, Jesus shows that God uses others to bless us. I'll never forget it. I was reading a book one time and it asked this question. It said, we've all heard that the disciples were out. We've all heard how Jesus was. We've all heard about the people that came. But the question I have for is what about the little boy? What about the little boy with the five loaves and the two fish? He's minding his own business. And one of the disciples came by and said, hey, kid, give me your lunch. He was like, what are you talking about? Give me your, what are you talking about? Yeah, give me your lunch, man. Jesus needs your lunch. And I don't know about any kids y'all have ever had, but every kid I've ever had would have went, it's my lunch. And I know they make it sound so smooth in the scripture, but I guarantee you there was a little bit of pull and tugging, all right? But eventually he said, here, take my lunch. God shows Jesus shows that God uses other people to bless us. Listen, the miracle, this miracle started when the kid was willing to give up his lunch. The miracle started with his willingness to give up his food for the greater good. God can use others to bless us. God can use others <clears throat> for us to bless how can we bless others? Well, if you're going to bless others, you have to be spiritually in tune with God. But the biggest thing you have to be, and here it is, you have to be number three. You have to be number three. You have to be God first, others second, and you third. You have to have the attitude of I'm number three. God first, others, and then me. 
And you have the ability to do that as well. And I want to show you something. I want to show you something because you know this is true. When I share this, you're going to know it's true. The third point is connected to the second point. Because you will never make yourself available to bless others unless you realize that God is your provision. You won't. Because you'll think in your mind that you have to hold on to everything so tight. That's what you'll think. I always tell people two things when it comes to this. First thing is this. Don't hold on to your stuff too tight. All right? Because if you've got a handful of your own stuff, God can't give you anything else. And the second thing I want you to know is this. Don't constantly grab for things. Don't constantly grab for things. Because most of the time when you grab for it, you're going to hit it and knock it further away. You don't have to live that life. You really don't. You don't have to be like a little kid grabbing for a Reese's in the checkout line. You really don't. God will give you what you need. And if you will live that lifestyle, you're going to see, you're going to see that His provision will allow you to be a blessing for other people. And then you're going to see that He will use someone else's provision to be a blessing for you. And when you see that and when you grasp that, you live a life of freedom. Jesus, on his probably the second worst day of his life, had compassion on these people. And he was used by God to feed them and to bless them. And my challenge to you today is that even on your terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, do everything you can to respond like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you so much, God, for the example that you set by on your worst day, one of your worst days, that you still had compassion on those that were hungry. You still had compassion on those that needed food and that those had come and were gathered around. You still had compassion on those disciples that were excited about their, about their successes in ministry. Lord, even when it's difficult for us, let us show you. God, we know that you're our provision, and we don't want to live a life where you're not our provision. God, when you're our provision, then we don't hold on to things so tightly because we know that you'll provide more. And it makes us people that can just give away, that can give away our stuff and to bless other people. God, there's nothing greater that shows who you are than sacrificial giving and, and loving other people unconditionally. Let us show compassion on those people, Lord. And as you do, Lord, as you let us do that, we won't take the credit, but we will say it's the God in us. It's and God, I, I'm thankful for that. We'll give you the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up for a final worship song this morning. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Until then... God bless and remember to love God, 
love others, and live real.